Hello and welcome back to Don't Slam Your Podcast. I am, as ever, your 2.4 host, J.D. Collins. Joining me today to discuss Dirty Bowling, the penultimate episode of Series 1, is Forrest. Forrest, thank you very much for joining me today. Hi, J.D. Collins. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm really well, thank you. How are you doing in these times? Yes, I'm really well, thank you. I'm really looking forward to this. I'm raring to go. Brilliant. Now, you're a big sitcom fan, and this is your first time on a podcast. Um, but you have actually been on TV before and spoken about your love of sitcoms. Yeah, so it was an ITV2 show called Freshers, and it came out in 2013. Gosh, it was gosh, going to be eight years ago uh, this year. Wow, I mean, I remember that. It was the year before I went to uni myself, and yeah, the time's just flown. And you spoke about your love of birds of a feather. So how did your love of sitcoms start? I don't really know. Uh, but there's a lot of shows sort of... Uh, retro shows and I'm part of uh, a generation where uh, when I was younger YouTube started and uh, so I found a lot of uh, sitcom clips via YouTube Um, but secondly on Channel 5 they sometimes show things like 100 greatest TV moments or 50 greatest comedy moments and the first Birds of a Feather clip I saw was the Christmas special from Series 1. And I don't know if you've seen it, but it's the scene where Doreen is decorating the Christmas tree. And she takes the Barbie, pulls the legs and just sticks it on top of the Christmas tree. And I just thought it was so funny. And I thought, wow, what, what is this show? And um, Birds of a Feather's re- repeat a lot on the drama channel is continuously repeated on a loop where it was hardly ever repeated before. It, it's on now all the time. So, so that's fantastic. But there was a period where it was never repeated at all. And, um, and it was only because I, I was lucky that my family had Sky that I was able to watch repeats on Comedy Central. So I remember taping all those off the TV and then slowly they started coming out on DVD. Um, I don't know, did you did you ever see the stage show? No, I didn't see it, but I think a few of my grandparents' friends saw it. Did you see it? Yes, and would you believe I went to see it six times. Six times, it was amazing. Wow, you know, if there was a... Um... If they ever make a, a Birds of a Feather podcast, you need to be the host. Yeah, maybe. It could be called, like, Birds of a Feather cast together. Yes, exactly. I like that. I'll, I'll steal that if I ever do it. Go for it. So... You love Birds of Feather, and you did a follow-up to Freshers where you actually met Dorian. Yes, Leslie Joseph. What actually happened was, after the first series went out, we did three episodes, and after uh, they went out, the timing was really lucky. Uh, You know when you get emails and it can go into your spam folder? I never used to check it. And uh, it was when, about a week after the first or second episode went out, I was looking at my emails, and I accidentally clicked on the junk email button and I suddenly saw something called ITV call Pauline Quirk and I thought what's this and I clicked on it and it was an email it was an email from one of Pauline Quirk's agents and uh, and it said Pauline and her uh, Pauline Quirk and her son Charlie watched you on Freshers and they want to invite you to a recording of Birds of a Feather and I just couldn't believe it so straight away I called the lady back uh, because I read it three days later, uh, I, I rang and, uh, you know, I was hoping that, that she, she, she'd picked up. I didn't want them to think that I'd missed the email completely. And I can't remember what, what the lady's name was, but I, I said, hi, this is, you know, such and such. And she said, hi, you know, oh, is this Forrest? And uh, I was completely elated. I, I couldn't believe it. And she said, oh, Pauline will be so pleased that you called me back. 
she said she watched John Freshers with her son, and they said that you're a big fan of Birds of a Feather and would like to invite you to a recording. So she gave me some possible dates, and you know, I I, uh, I clicked on one, and I went with a friend, and I was really excited. I went to the ITV studios, and I met Pauline Quirk's husband, and and he took me down because I met him originally in reception. He came, met me there, and uh, and then he took me he he took me to to you know to where they were getting ready and I was really nervous and I was walking along just thinking you know these are just normal people blah 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 don't be nervous and as I as I walked along the corridor Pauline Quirk came out of the office and said ah it's Forrest and she hugged me and I was really flattered and then Leslie Joseph walked out and said right where is he and it, it was really really nice and we had a picture together all of us we, you know we had a picture together and, um, and they took us to the to the audience, and we had reserved seats. And uh, and then when they started recording, that they they well before they started recording, they came out and they sort of gave me a wave in the audience. And uh, so that was really exciting. And then when uh, Pauline Quirk's husband gave me a green ribbon, and it was a pass. It was sort of you know a pass uh, to to be in uh, their you know their sort of after party in hospitality. So that was really fantastic. And uh, yeah, just a, a really good experience. And then the following year, uh, there had there, been rub, rumblings about a freshers follow-up. And, um, and a couple of sort of lecturers had said to me, oh, Forrest, I hear freshers is coming back. And I said, well, I said, I haven't really heard anything, so I'm not too sure. The lady who I filmed freshers with, her name is Therese. And, you know, she's a, a really fantastic person. I'm really happy to say that we've actually, you know, stayed in touch since freshers. She she had said to me, um, uh, yes, that pressure was coming back, and she was asking for possible dates that I could work. And uh, just just from the, the the top of my head, she um, well, she'd said to me, uh, "What are your days like? The last few days of April, first few days in May." And I said, "Yes, that's fine," because it was you know before the exam period. So I thought that was a, a good time to do some recording. But it just so happened that coincidentally. My auntie had booked me tickets to see Leslie Joseph in hot flush. Uh, it was it, uh, the first day in May. So I had said to Therese, oh, I actually can't record one of the days in May because I'd already booked tickets to see Leslie Joseph in hot flush. But unbeknownst to me, she'd already contacted Leslie Joseph's agent to say, you know, Forrest is coming to see Leslie in the show. Can we do any filming beforehand? And they had actually said yes. But I'd said to Therese, believe it or not, oh, I don't want to film with Leslie. And the reason I didn't was because as they had arranged for that, um, for that invitation for me to see them at the ITV2 studios, I didn't want her to think that I was becoming a pest. And that I was, I thought they'd, they'd already arranged something for me. I didn't want to keep, think, you know, I didn't want them to keep asking. I didn't want to become sort of a hindrance. But Therese had actually showed me an email where Leslie had said that she was happy to do some filming. So that put my mind at rest. And, and again, yeah, it was brilliant. We, we filmed for about eight minutes. And, uh, and I, I wish they had shown all the eight minutes. And, uh, but they did cut a lot. I think out of eight minutes, they had shown about 30 to 40 seconds. So it was a teeny bit disappointing. But hey... You know, I filmed Leslie Joseph, and if you'd have told me when I started university that I'd be on TV with Leslie Joseph, I, you know, I'd have laughed in your face. It was just so surreal.
but there we go. I mean, that is amazing. And what I like about those experiences you've had is that you went to the recording and you met obviously Paul and Quirk and Leslie Joseph, but they were as excited to see you as you were to see them. They were like fans of yours as well, which I think is really nice. Honestly, I'm just so lucky. And, and all the people I have met, actually, um, they've, they've all been really nice and I haven't once been disappointed. That's really good. So I'm going on to a part now that I do with all my new guests. It's called the 2.4 Initiation. It's just a few questions of your experience of 2.4 children. So when did you first discover the show? I first discovered 2.4 children. Uh, can I remember the year? It was 2008 when I was 14. And I was in Cyprus, would you believe it? We, we had set meal times in the hotel and dinner started at seven o'clock. Because I've got a large family, uh, we would all, you know, we'd wash and shower beforehand before we went down to dinner. So we would go to the apartment about six o'clock and we had a TV in the room and I would always automatically put on BBC Choice. And when I clicked, and when I clicked onto it, the show As Time Goes By was on. And uh, that's another show that I, I quite like. And I was, uh, I was watching it uh, just by chance. I, I, t I turned on the TV and the first episode of Series 8, the episode Fame, came on. And I don't know why, but the theme tune for Series 8, you know, is so short. But there was just something about it. And I thought, it, you know, it's quite catchy. So I left it on. And um, I know this might sound a bit OTT, but it was one of the best experiences of my life. I thought, wow, this show is incredible. I loved it. I really liked it. And, uh, and because I enjoyed this show so much, um, it's really weird. The title just went out of my head. And then the next day we were getting ready as time goes by was on. And I, I thought to myself, I really hope that show that came on yesterday uh, is, is on. And thank God, 2.4 Children, Enter the Dragon was on. So every night I would make sure I was ready for 6.30 because I didn't want to miss this amazing show. And uh, so, yeah, so we watched the whole of Series 8 in Cyprus on BBC Choice. Of course, the, the first thing I, I did was to look up and I, I, I realised that there were no DVDs of it, which to this day, you know, is, is a scandal. And uh, even the DVDs that are available, some of them are so poorly edited, it's really frustrating. Uh, one day I was back in the UK and... Uh, or when I... Sorry... So one day when I was back in the UK, I was channel surfing and I saw 2.4 children and I thought, oh my God, 2.4 children. So I clicked on it and it was dirty bowling. Now this might sound strange at first, but I actually thought to myself, is this the same program? And it's, it's not that they look older in series eight because they don't, but Bill and Ben particularly just look so different. And, uh, and so going from series eight and then seeing a series one episode, uh, uh, which I didn't even know at the time was a series eight episode, I thought, wow, uh, they, they've changed so much. I, I just thought even Gary Olsen just looked completely different. And uh, so when I clicked onto it, it was actually the bowling scene and... Uh, and again, as you know, 2.4 Children, you probably know this, but UK Gold were only repeating series one to four. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yes, again, 
that was really frustrating. I, you know, I used to think to myself, will I ever get to see the rest of this series? And, uh, you know, will I ever get to watch series eight again? And I really wanted to see series eight. And I thought, I thought that time would never come. But then slowly they started to be uploaded onto YouTube. And I actually used to eat my lunch in the classroom. And I remember I was once flicking on the teacher's computer and looking at YouTube. And I said to the teacher, oh, someone's uploading these episodes of, of 2.4 Children. And I actually said to her, Miss, can I sit here during lunch and watch these episodes of 2.4 Children? Because I didn't have a laptop at the time. And obviously, with phones, I had a Nokia 360. It wasn't just a case of being able to watch them when I go home. Well, you know, so uh, so she said yes, and I was really pleased about that because there was no other way for me to see them. Honestly, if we went to school together, I'd have probably been in the classroom with you at lunchtime watching 2.4 Children. <laughs> that just sounds like heaven. Sounds perfect. And you say you were 14 in 2008. Yes. Yeah, because I was 13 that year. So we're of a kind of similar age and sort of discovered it after it was on in a similar way. So what's your favourite episode? Oh, gosh, it, it, it changes a lot. But I would have to say any episode from Series 8, um, I have to say, this might sound strange, but I can watch something one time and think they couldn't improve it. And the, the one episode uh, that I watched and think they couldn't have improved this any in any other way is the Christmas special misery. And I don't know why, but I just find that episode so striking. So what's your favourite series? Uh, I would say I would have to go with series eight. I just love that series. That's not bad for a final series of sitcom to have that high quality is really impressive. Uh, absolutely. So who's your favourite character? It would have to be a, a, a toss between Ben and Christine. If I had to choose, I'd say Ben. He's the type of character I look out for when I watch a TV show or read a book. And do you think the show has aged well? To be honest, actually, maybe about five years ago, you could say that it looked a bit dated. I think series seven and eight look fine. When you see Ben wearing checkered shirts, you see a lot of people wearing checkered shirts more now. So fashion always repeats itself. So from a fashion point of view, um, you know, it's, it's aged well, really. So why do you think the show's been forgotten about over the years? I think purely for the reason is that it didn't get the repeats it deserves. And also with DVDs, for me, I've discovered shows just by buying DVDs and just giving it a chance. Like another sitcom I saw, I, I ordered the DVDs, which, which have never been shown on TV before via repeat. And it was um, Simon Nye who wrote Men Behaving Badly. It's called Is It Legal? I don't know. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it, but is that the one with Imelda Staunton? Yes, yes. And again, it, it's really funny and it doesn't get repeated. And no disrespect to Only Fools and Horses, but that show was repeated so much. And I'm thinking, come on, Gold, just give another, another show a chance. Yeah, I think Only Fools is ruined for me now because of how often it's on. I saw it very young as it was still quite new when I was sort of born in the early years of my life. And I think mm -hmm. now the TV repeats that show it all the time, it's the same ones, same episodes continuously. And it's just mm -hmm. kind of fatigued from it for me. And I agree that another show kind of deserves a chance now. 
Well, congratulations, Forrest. That ends your 2.4 initiation. You've gone on to the next round. You always were. Now we'll go on to the review. This is Series 1, Episode 5, Dirty Bowling. In Episode 5, um, Bill actually takes a driving test and... Uh, uh, we were able to, and this was long before um, you know he went into last of the summer wine and things. We were able to retrieve Stephen Lewis um, from on the buses. Who um, you probably may or may not know this, but he was quite um, a prolific writer in his early days. He was part of uh, um, Joan Littlewood's um, theatre, Royal Stratford East um, Company, who who pretty much revolutionised British. Theatre, and he, I think he, I think I'm right in saying he was the author of Sparrows Can't Sing, which is one of their uh, early productions. He's he was a very uh, delightful and erudite man, um, who <laughs> somewhat uh, was rather cheated by his appearance and on the buses. But he he gave us a great comedy performance as the driving instructor, as a sort of Frankenstein-like figure. He was terribly inventive, very subtle in in the things he came up with. Absolute delight to work with. We find um, in episode five, Rona's story progresses a little. Rona's journey is, um, in a way, Rona is the anti-Bill. She's the person who 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 didn't get married, who didn't have children, who who chose a different kind of lifestyle, and as a result, she's always kind of unhappy about not having children whilst still of course enjoying her freedom and Bill in some ways I think envies Rona's freedom but um, what this is sort of meant to be contrasting is the swings and roundabouts of married life and non-married life uh, and how you know the balance between them is extremely uh, difficult to to bridge. So the episode starts with Ben outside a lockup and he sees one of his friends who kind of makes it clear that it's been he's been there a few times. He walks in, takes off his glasses and says, you beautiful love bitch. Now, in the previous episode, Ben does a job for an ex-girlfriend called Pauline and she makes it clear that she's not happy in her marriage and suggests they have an affair. She says that we can meet anywhere. So viewers are kind of led to believe that that's him going through with the affair. Do you know what? Maybe it's just because I love horror as well. When I think of Lockup, I just think of serial killers. Now, that's the problem. Yeah, the, the, yeah there is that too, absolutely. <laughs> Do so people we... have Lockups anymore? Are they such a thing anymore? They seem to be a thing in America. Know. They seem to be a thing in America. Um, yeah. Maybe Britain has. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, have, yes, I do actually know a few people who have one. Um, but oh, I think, okay. Um, I've not. I might need some at some point for all the books I have, which is too many. Um, yeah, snap. <laughs> so we go to the living room and mm-hmm. it's quite a, a hectic scene, very typical day. Bill is mm-hmm. trying to do the ironing. She answers the phone to take details for a job for Ben. And then she sees David come in and he smells something from his shoes, so cleans mm-hmm. up. And there's a great scene. He takes out some air freshener that's actually like pest repellent. Yes. And then Jehovah's the bird bar. Yes. <laughs> and then the Jehovah's Witnesses appear at the door. And I think it's a great mm-hmm. bit because Bill's just looking at this pest. Exactly. 
thinking it's so <laughs> tempting and I think we've all been like that before and she you know it's got a good way with the humor Belinda Lang the way she performed mm-hmm. those moments it's so deadpan like when she absolutely take, yeah when she takes the um the thing the the leaflet and says oh, I'll read it most carefully then uses it to wipe sure. the floor and then Ben no um David refers to the freshener, the proper air freshener as, as being like a tart boudoir. And I think <laughs> that's great observation for anyone who, who's got kids, who finds down they've learned certain phrases or certain words, certain ideas mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. off a friend like Sammy. And it's a great bit because then Bill's sort of disgusted by it, but Rona walks in and says it smells lovely. <laughs> exactly. Actually, do you know that this whole scene here actually... It's one of the reasons I love this show because to me, it's just such a sort of a typical family, you know, scenes, you know, because how many, and that's one of the reasons I, I like the types of shows I do because you can identify with the characters. I mean, how, you know, how many, you know, moments have there been in people's lives, you know, where they've stepped in a bit of, you know, dog muck and, and walked it through the house or, you know, scenes of like my mum, you know, years ago trying to, trying to do the ironing and, you know, uh, say in our kitchen, for example, you know, trying to squeeze past, oh, can I, I just need to get to the kettle quickly, so the iron is taking longer than what it should, and you can just so identify with, with her in this scene. Yes, and that's an, that's an element of the show that I think gets overlooked, because so many people just refer to the surreal moments, and of course the storylines later on are fun, but I always say it has that realism that you mm-hmm. see in, like, Outnumbered, you see it in the Royal Family, just the mm-hmm. uh, book for a studio sitcom that's quite progressive and quite mm-hmm. observational. And it's the things like she's doing the ironing um, and when she does the, um, she gets tissues out of the trousers and says, oh, I keep mm-hmm. telling him, don't put them in the trousers. And that's something else that a lot of people can recognise and identify with. It's, it's again, really a, well observed and recognisable. And Jenny runs down, hasn't heard from her boyfriend mm-hmm. for two days. And it's just a, it's, funny because she's frustrated Rona's testing Bill for her driving test and then what Mm -hmm. I love about Bill and Rona's friendship is the quirkiness between them like at one point they start talking to each other like Bessie and Donna now I'm assuming they're like 1950s BBC presenters about Mm -hmm. how to or or people Mm -hmm. on TV unable to get stains out of clothes and it's just funny Um, it's just a really quirky moment Absolutely, but I was going to say, Julia Hills, who plays Rona, she, I don't know where I read it, but she actually said that when Teapot for Children you know, obviously came, you know, to its end, sadly, she actually said that she could actually picture sort of a series of, you know, just sort of her and Bill sort of going on a road trip. I don't know if you'd have thought, I don't know how that would have worked out, but, you know, you know, I could have seen it just because they had that sort of rapport. So it would have been interesting to see, you know, what would have happened if, if they'd have made a show like that? Well, I've always thought that as much as it's a family sitcom, it is as much mm-hmm. about Bill and ben and Bill and Rona's friendship because mm-hmm. they have got that kind of close bond and it's so mm-hmm. important. I mean, Rona's not blood relative, but she's like the surrogate mm-hmm. of the porters and it would absolutely. have been interesting. It's as much about them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Ben comes home and... Bill jokes that he might have another woman there. (laughs) 
kind of ramping up the um, the suspense of what's actually in the lockup. Exactly. So we go into the bakery and there's a new area manager called Mr. Castell, who is literally every one's worst nightmare of a boss. He's arrogant, mm-hmm. but also very condescending, calling them darling, mm-hmm. talks down to Bill and makes mm-hmm. out she's clueless. And Bill, because she's so strong and so kind of, takes no messing from anyone she's just mm-hmm. like she's it's, he's her worst nightmare yes absolutely absolutely and actually there is nothing worse when you have that manager that feels that they have to keep notice of the workers in line you know oh you know dear dear these poor workers they can't possibly have their own opinion because you know they're not the manager that sort of attitude and the way he sort of sacks the part-time is just out, you know, just sort of like says, oh, well, they're not needed anymore. And mm. the way he flirts with them, he's clearly a, a, an absolute snake and s- yeah. not someone who is going to make their life very happy. Then the way exactly. he says chow as well is a really sort of condescending. It's, it's very yuppie-ish, isn't cringe. it? <laughs> yes, cringe. We get to um, Paddy's Cafe. And Paddy's Cafe is like your typical sort of British small town calf that is mm-hmm. got pretty bad food. The, the food's from all sorts of dodgy places mm-hmm. from an animal that's probably been pumped with loads of chemicals. <laughs> and exactly, Jerry's an interesting character because he's obviously Ben's first assistant and mm-hmm. he never really gets to shine in the series does he? he's just kind of there as a bit of a fool it's true and actually when i watch um you know when people mention 2.4 children he's actually the one character now that never ever comes into my mind in fact i don't really even associate him with the program i just don't i don't think of his character no no I, i'm the same and i think you know a few episodes back we did the um, the one where Bill goes shopping and Christine actually appears for the first time on me. Yeah, sure. And she's more f- interesting and more impactful in just a few, mm-hmm. like, I think she's only in for like a minute in that episode, more than Jerry mm-hmm. is in any of the scenes in this show and, mm-hmm. and, and series one. And the thing about this scene is, again, it's not really developing more than is potentially mm-hmm. Ben got another woman. So it doesn't really add anything else to it. Absolutely. And I'd like to know, actually, the character Jerry. I don't know if you know this, but I'd love to know, you know, did he decide to leave? Was he written out just because, you know, maybe Andrew Marshall decided his character wasn't working and he could see more potential with, you know, with with Christine, you know, as Ben's assistant. So I'd actually like to know um, what happened there. One mm. thing I do know about the guy who played Jerry, he's actually died. Um, oh gosh he died in 2002 so he's been oh gone for a long time unfortunately yeah gosh i didn't know but then. yeah it, it, he, he passed away in 2002 quite about only about 41 so he's quite gosh. almost the same age as gary olsen which is absolutely tragic absolutely and, you know as i say i think i think sometimes with these characters <laughs> in the first series of the show it's it's, it's more that is that uncertainty of how, as you say, what to do with them. Because I'm sure they could have made Jerry a fine character, but mm-hmm. it probably just wasn't, something just wasn't missing. Sure. Some, quite, something wasn't quite right. Well, I was going to say, you know, people you know, people I really admire, people like Chris Barry will often say the best thing about the BBC years ago was that the first series was sort of used as 
as a series that you watch and you think, okay, that didn't work. We'll change this or, you know, let's ramp up this. So it was almost used as a tester. Whereas, and I suppose that's what's happened with 2.4 children, maybe you know, with the character of Jerry, whereas now it's almost as if you can't use series one as sort of a test. It needs to immediately work. And if it doesn't, they just don't commission you for a second series, which, you know, some shows need that, you know, that, that, you know, bit of time, you know, just to sort of, you know, build it up a bit. Because they normally actually say a sitcom never really comes into its own till about the third series. Well, if you can't even get past series one, how are shows expected to run anymore? Exactly. And there's, and I think there's, there's plenty of examples of those kind of shows. One Foot in the Grave mm. is a good one. Mm. And 2.4 mm. Children. And I think as well, not sound like a broken record because I've said it, you know, on previous series one episodes, mm-hmm. but I've always thought that 2.4 Children series one, you can't base it on one episode, your opinion. Mm-hmm. You've got to watch the whole thing because it is like one pilot. It's like one pilot episode. Completely. And actually, to be honest, I think um, I, I, I read somewhere a lot of people said they liked, they really liked the show from series three onwards. But for me, I think series two has some really fantastic episodes. I mean, series one does, but there are some moments from series two that really stick out for me. I mean, that whole scene, you know, uh, thank your lucky stars, you know, that scene with Bill and Ben, you know, towards the end where he's talking about, you know, you know, getting up to, you know, number six with a girl. Just that whole scene there, I just think it's just brilliant. It's hilarious. It's clearly a different setup. Well, no, it's a different setup. It's a different tone. But mm-hmm. I like it. I like the darkness of, of series two, especially, because mm-hmm. it's a studio sitcom, prime time, on before the watershed, families watching mm-hmm. it with children, and yet they've got some really... Absolutely. ...mature ideas. And especially Absolutely. in the series one, I think it's more to do with the observation with some mm-hmm. quirky elements so like it kind of moves us nicely onto driving test scene because Ronan and Bill are obviously waiting for the test to start Ronan's comforts her and says they're not monsters but what's interesting is that the show is very stooped in reality especially in this first series and then mm-hmm. behind them it's a lovely visual the door flings open yeah. and the examiner comes out and he's like got this really yeah. wide-eyed almost like Nosferatu look. And he's almost mm-hmm. like the demon headmaster. And the fact that he's silhouetted, you don't see him. It makes him look like a horror character. Absolutely. And it's that kind of twist into something a bit more ab- ab- abstract and, su- and um, mm. surreal and supernatural mm-hmm. almost that, mm-hmm. that breaks the tension. And I like that about it. How, how great is it that they managed to get Blakey to play that part? I mean, I've not properly seen On the Bus. I think I've only seen the movie. And bit, oh, okay, yeah, because there's three of those, and, and they're, they're hilarious too. Yeah, it's 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 really cool when you see shows like Two Point Four Children when they kind of get guest stars from older mm. sitcoms. So even for the fact that the first Paddy, you know, was David Kelly, another really good, you know, actor from the past. You know, great to see, even though he was only in two episodes and they were quite small scenes. The, he's again, he for me, he brought something more than what, say, the character Jerry did. Definitely, and he's got... You really got, have a presence. Definitely, and you do know he's Grandpa Joe in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory 2005. Yes, exactly. And he was also in a sitcom called Robin's Nest. He was he had he had one arm in it. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> that was the Man About House spin-off, wasn't it? That's it, yeah. He was... Yeah. Was he... I, I think he was the, he was the um, 
Was he sort of the kitchen cleaner, I think, in Robin's Nest? That's what his job was. Yes. It's, it's again, it's just all these people pop up on and they're building their mm-hmm. resume. But it's a great scene as the examiner because he's very old. Like, not for comic purposes, but I think it's just for sort of a distinctive character. He's got like a sort of speech mm-hmm. impediment. He can't pronounce his R's. Um, yes. And the examiner asks Bill to read a number plate. And what I love about Bill in this scene is, you know, she's very astute, gets on with things, but she's so mm-hmm. human that mm-hmm. she then gets so nervous that she has her tongue stick out and she starts trying to pronounce these. Yeah. <laughs> and it's almost like she's taking the mickey a bit out of the instructor, but she's not, she's just nervous. And it, it's so sweet because she's Absolutely. such a lovely character and has mm-hmm. that I'm... humanity. Absolutely. And I'm so glad, actually, that this show was made when it was because... obviously this scene now wouldn't exist if it was made today because obviously your theory is all done in a center via the computer so i'm glad it wasn't like that then because to not have this scene or to have where she's answering the questions you know you know obviously you know i'm sure maybe andrew marshall would have maybe thought of something else but i'm glad this scene is like that because it just is so funny it is. It develops her character as well because she is clearly nervous. So she shows that she gets nervous occasionally. Mm-hmm. And when she sees the biker again for the final question, which mm-hmm. answer links to a motorbike, and that's when she boosts her confidence. And every time the biker arrives, she is much more confident, much more mm-hmm. relaxed. Mm-hmm. And it's just says a lot about that character now what is your opinion on the biker the biker again don't think too much of him for me i just see it as i don't know maybe maybe when you know i don't know somebody a couple have been married for ages or or, you know for a long time there might be times when one of them maybe does sort of you know sort of have little fantasies so i suppose here we're just sort of seeing hers really but you know that nothing's ever going to happen because you know the bond and the love between you know her and ben you know you know appears to be um unbreakable yeah it's just yes it's just nice just to sort of see a fancy rather than her maybe i don't know chatting to rainer about you know oh potentially what if somebody else was to come along Definitely. And I think it's also a theory about him being a guardian angel, someone who mm-hmm. she kind of appears when it's the time she needs some advice or some Absolutely. confidence. And I can see di- a few different views on it. Yes, they could have gone further. She could have found out about who he is mm-hmm. and more about his backstory, as has mm-hmm. been suggested. But at the same time, it could also be that he's only meant to be there occasionally. He's not meant mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. all there all the time. That ambiguity is probably what it's meant to be. Absolutely. Yeah, no, no I agree with that. So we're now at the test centre and Rona is waiting. Bill lets her know that she's passed. Sometimes little jokes are very subtly performed and it goes over the audience's head. So, for example, in this scene, Rona sort of screams, gets excited, gives Bill a hug. But then there's a guy in the waiting room where he says, is that Rona? No, it's, yeah, she says, sure. does that sound like Rona? And it's obvious it's mm-hmm. someone that she's had a one-night stand with. Yes, and he's recommend re- recognizing the sound, mm-hmm. and yet the audience don't laugh as much as I did. I was just like that is sure. a really good little joke and very subtly performed. Absolutely, it's interesting because again, uh, Chris Barry did an interview recently, and he said that if you watch series one, there are scenes where people are not laughing at sort of in jokes, 
Whereas he said, because it was serious, one people probably didn't, you know, pick up on it. Whereas he said, when people get to know the show and know how things work, he said, probably, you know, it would get a bigger laugh. I mean, this might sound really, really sad that I'm even saying this, but sometimes I'll watch an episode of 2.4 Children, and I'll even sit there and I'll think, why, why did the audience not give that scene or that moment a round of applause? Little things like that I often think about. I don't know if you do, but I just think, wow, I thought the reaction should have been better than that. I've always said the same thing because it's so subtle, the performances. Mm. I don't know, maybe they've just got had a younger audience who didn't quite get the innuendo or mm. the more adult meaning behind something. But I agree mm. with you. It, sometimes I think, yeah, that, that didn't get the laugh that it should have. Absolutely. I mean, Belinda, they did a thing ages ago called um, Britain's Best Sitcom, and Belinda Lang said that she was adamant when she was reading the scripts, because there are so many references to sort of films from the 40s and 50s, she said, I'm sure the audience didn't have a clue what we were talking about, but she said, but we had fun. <laughs> well, that's the thing, and the thing about I like about the show is that because it has such a wide audience range, mm-hmm. there was something for everybody, so if there was a joke that the kids wouldn't get, the adults would. Mm-hmm. As you say, the, the reference, I have seen that interview as well. And, she, you know, the, there are moments where when I was younger, I didn't know The Prisoner. So I thought that episode when Ben goes to Port Mary and was just bonkers. And now I know it. It's like, oh, OK, I get it. It's, it was a spoof. But yeah, it's, sure. it's interesting because you think it's something original. Yes. So we go into the living room and David asks Bill if he can go to the hospital to watch the ambulance. <laughs> yes. As warped as warped gets that kid, isn't he? And exactly. It, Sammy's influence is really <laughs> not good. Mm-hmm. So so the next scene is sort of, um, the little scene is sort of develops into the bowling moment. So mm-hmm. Bill asks Jenny if Scott's phoned and Jenny's upset. So it's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, she's clearly still waiting for him. And Ben arrives and bless him. He's so a typical man when he sort of gives Bill the, card it's for the 60th wedding anniversary because he says men never read the rhymes <laughs> <laughs> yeah ramping up the stereotypes of what men do and don't do <laughs> exactly no I, I love this scene and actually i i think there are so many scenes between bill and ben that are so funny and just so warm that actually you know this type of episode where you know like um when the children are asleep when maybe the whole episode is just of those two i was thinking now particularly during lockdown if they'd made sort of a lockdown series, but you know, with just Bill and Ben, I think it would have just been so funny. It would have, I think it would have been fantastic. Do you know what I'd love? I'd love for Andrew Marshall to sort of write a book or, or, or something, I don't know, of you know, what happens next or what he, he thought would happen next, because I just, I just want more Bill and Ben scenes. I, 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 yeah, I crave them. I just think there's just so much. I think they missed out on 2.4 children comic books. Yes, absolutely. I, I think, think they so. would have been good because if you th- um, years ago there was a BBC magazine and they used to do short comics of TV shows and they did one of Bread, the Carl Lane series. Oh, okay. Thinking, well, if they did Bread, you could do Two Point Four Children because Two Point Four Children's like a comic book with the storylines. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So Scott's phones eventually, and Jenny seems fine. So they, Bill and Ben, are happy to go out. So mm. for the last parts of the episode, um, we're going to. Cup um sort of divide between the various moments because there's a lot of scene changes from the bowling mm-hmm. to the house. So the bowling scenes are I think really lovely because as you say that you know there are they're a very warm couple. Mm-hmm. And what I like about the bowling scene, particularly 
appearing in this episode is we've seen in the earlier ones they're kind of getting on with their life the relationship got a bit stale as things happen they're both very tired but when you see them together away from the kids being very playful talking about old memories or thinking things happen when it's the other one's former partner <laughs> it shows that they're actually very much in love and very much you know suited to each other mm, absolutely comfortable with each other and then you see they're playing the game of bowling and you know they're very really fun with each other when they they do a bet of if bill wins ben has to do his own ironing forever which is always exactly. every man's worst nightmare exactly what i love about this scene as well is for me i've always seen bowling as such a nice coupley thing to do yeah. i i think I, I don't know why i just think there's just something about bowling that you know you know for a first date i think go take it on bowling for a first day would just be it's just a good thing to do because you know if you if you go to the cinema you just sort of sit there and watch the film and whereas bowling you know it's just it's just so much fun i actually think that bowling would you know would break it up you know particularly if, if two people are, are feeling sort of they really want the state but they're both feeling nervous i just feel like bowling is a great icebreaker i agree it is an it's fun slight competitiveness but then you can be playful with it like they are saying Mm -hmm. if I win you do this if you win you do that and it's not going to happen but it's just a bit of it's humor and you play along with it I I think that's a really good observation (laughs) especially when Ben throws the ball in then the wrong lane (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a great great sitcom line I think we've all done that at some point as well (laughs) Which you know, I did. I went to bowling once. I cheated because I was sick of the bowling ball going down sort of the gutter. So I actually asked them to put, you know, sort of the kiddies, the kiddie barriers up at the side, so it wouldn't say I did. I suppose cheat a bit. Yeah. <laughs> so we're in living room and Jenny's bedroom as the scenes at the house, and Rona has agreed to look after the kids. And what I like about Rona, she's like the fun auntie. So David yes. says. I'm going to eat loads of chocolate. It might make me sick. She said there's a horror film on. And, and what I like is when he says, oh, you're no fun, because Rona's just saying yes, yes, yes. But what he loves to do is wind Bill up and say, oh, yes. I'm going to do this. And she goes, no, you're not. Yeah, I suppose kids always love pushing boundaries. And then I suppose if they've got none to push, sort of probably feel lost. <laughs> Imagine if he asked Rona if he could go to the hospital and watch the ambulances arrive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He'd have been down there in seconds. <laughs> And I like the scene between Jenny and Rona because we learn that Jenny actually spoken up with Scott. He dumped her over the phone. Mm-hmm. What I like about Rona is because she's, like I said, she's the fun auntie, but at the same time, because she is single and doesn't have children, she's got a kind of different look on life compared to Bill. Mm-hmm. And in a way, I think that's quite appealing for teenagers. If it's someone that, mm-hmm. who's older but doesn't have children, they've got a perspective that's not as indoctrinated like a parent has. Absolutely. And there is that sense of, um, I don't know how to describe it, but even though, you know, they always say about, oh, you know, um, if you're going through things, you know, you know always tell your mum or dad or, you know, whoever's there. But for some reason, telling somebody outside the family home or outside the immediate family, for some reason, there are different dynamics and it does sort of, it is, it's easy sometimes. It's really strange how it, you know, how, how that type of psychology works. Absolutely. And it works because we learn in that scene that Rona was engaged and left her fiance mm-hmm. at the altar for the best man. So you learn mm-hmm. that there's a bit of hurt in her 
past. Mm-hmm. I've always thought this in the early series, that even though we see Rona seem being very happy and, and mm-hmm. free, there's an underlying that there's actually sadness underneath. Yeah, vulnerabilities. Again, a bit like the character Doreen from Birds of a Feather, sort of the larger-than-life character, but actually she needs Sharon and Tracy more than they need her. And also the men is just filling a void in her life. And what I love about these shows from the 90s is that sitcom writers were giving these kind of characters a multifaceted persona and Mm -hmm. more complexity because think about nowadays, Rona and Dorian would be just the comic relief characters. They'd be the kind of promiscuous women who Mm -hmm. are just always the butt of jokes. But the fact sure. that they actually have something underlying that's not knockabout sitcom gives them more credibility as real characters. Absolutely. Once they've had their chat, I love it when Jenny says, let's go and eat ice cream until we're the size of Clive James. I mean, that's really offensive <laughs> to Clive James. And David, <laughs> very typical, falls asleep on the sofa and scares Rona with fake vampire teeth. He's just a typical naughty kid. Exactly. The final scene, the lockup, is when we finally reveal what's going on. And what I like about mm-hmm. this is that this scene really sums up from the bowling what their relationship's like away from responsibility, away from mm-hmm. the kids, what it was like when they started out. And then, from what I can gather, Bill wants to have a bit of fun with him in the lockup mm-hmm. and the car. Yeah. We learn that he's working on the Montego. And she's got the surprise for him. And they walk in and find that the Montego has now become a 1950s Chevrolet and he's used the tax rebate from episode three uh-huh. to work on it and get more money. But it sums up the downside of a long-term relationship because now reality hits and she's just like, you know, you've done this. And he, she, the punishment is the best thing. He says, "My, I get all the ironing forever and I. And she goes, oh no, that would be too simple. I'm going to hold this against you for the rest of your natural life. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's probably the worst thing a man can hear. But then, Ben, my favourite line in that last sign, he says, could be worse. Could have got the ironing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Doesn't mind that she's going to hold a grudge against him and it's going to come up in conversation a million times because yeah. seven years later, he then buys Fab One. Exactly. So learn his lesson. And she just rips him a new one in that episode. So it goes mm. to show that he just, he never learns and she will yeah. always win an argument. Yes, exactly. And also the, the reason he probably, you know, would never learn, like, it could even be that, that stereotypical, you know, the stubborn man. Yeah. It could be that too. Or, or actually sometimes, you know, um, Ben, you know, that over-enthusiasm, that, you know, just when you're so excited about something, you just don't think of anything else. You just think you're just fixated on that one thing just because it's made you so excited. So you can't just say no. So I think there's a lot of that. Ben's a teeny bit like Toad, you know, Mr. Toad, Toad of Toad Hall from The Wind in the Willows. That's sort of, you know, over-enthusiastic character. It's, it's very childlike and it very much confirms that he's the, the point four of the children. Mm-hmm. That he's so, mm-hmm. just doesn't think about things. And, and it is like she's mothering him, telling him what to do and how he should approach mm-hmm. things. Marks out of 10 for this episode. Oh, it's a 10 from me. Yeah. I love this episode from series one so much. And it, um, yes, if I had to pick to to you know to watch one dirty bowling always comes into my mind it's such it feels in one way like it's not what i always think of 
as mm-hmm. with any of series one, although I love it, I don't think of specific episodes because I think later on mm-hmm. the plots are very tight and you can go, that's the lost mm-hmm. episode, that's mm-hmm. the football episode. Whereas there's more moments in these for series one, but when you watch them, they're really, really good. And I give this a good nine because it is solid mm-hmm. character development, funny mm-hmm. moments and develops the story further. Absolutely. I mean, even the one before this, uh, Love and Marriage, this, that, just that scene there where Ben's singing at the beginning and then he sings at the end. Oh, it's just, it's brilliant. I just love those Ben moments. Definitely. He's got a real quirky quality and a, mm-hmm. and a lovable personality, which is always enjoyable. Sure. Forrest, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. We will next see you in the future because we've got a couple of episodes um, mm-hmm. booked for you, which I'm looking forward to. Thank you to everyone for listening. And you can, as ever, email me at 2.4podcast at gmail.com. You never know in three years, Forrest, Freshers mm-hmm. will be 10 years. You might have a 10-year who knows? reunion episode. Yes, who knows? We shall see. I don't know if the others w- would do it. Um, but, yeah, who, you never know. The thing is about the, the TV world, it's so, you know, it's so strange how it works, so. Absolutely. Well, you've got plenty of material if you want to write your own sitcom as well. <laughs> and, Thank you, JD. And next week we'll be looking at the Series 1 finale, Young at Heart. Until then, stay safe, everyone. <laughs>